And I love it because what a beautiful posture to say. I don't know why and I don't know how, but I'm grateful. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Come on, will you pray with me? God, it is true that you are a mountain moving, Thank you, Lord, for being consistent. Thank you, God, that as a way maker, it's not predicated on our faithfulness, but it's just because of who you are. Thank you for just being God. The one who loves unconditionally. The one who did heal is still healing. The one who did restore and is still restoring. The one who did forgive and is still forgiving. The one who did deliver and is still delivering. God, thank you for making a way for us. All of us, God, all of us stand in need of you. And we just want to honor you on this day, God. Thank you for this time of worship. And God, it is true that we can do nothing until you come. So we thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit dwelling with us today. And already speaking to our hearts. God, I pray that you continue doing this hour of preaching. And Lord, that you will continue to move, that you'll continue to penetrate the hearts of all who have gathered today. Lord, that they may hear from you, that I may hear from you. For God, I can do nothing without you. I pray, God, that these be not my words, but yours. For, Lord, I am aware that I am not able, but, God, you are. For, Lord, I am willing, so use your willing vessel. Hide me behind Calvary's cross that the people may hear and see much more of you, God, and less of me. God, we pray now. May the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. For, Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. And it is in your name that we humbly pray. 
Now let every heart say amen. 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 Come on, clap it up with me. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I ask that you go ahead and open them up to uh, the gospel according to Luke chapter 4. We'll be reading just uh, six short verses, verses 16 through 21. Uh, the gospel according to Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. Um, and we'll be reading uh, from the New King James Version, so um, just for your hearing. And also, of course, it'll be available for you on the screen. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. And here's what you'll find. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Verse 21, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. Well, today we, um, we close out our series entitled Jehovah. Um, and we've been challenging, as Aaron mentioned earlier, to uh, ask the questions of each and every one of us about what and how do we believe. Do we believe that God is still a forgiver? Do we believe that he is a restorer? Do we believe that God is still a healer? Do we believe that God still delivers? Do those questions only exist in the historical pages of scripture or are these things that we still hold on to today? Does the God that we read about, are those just simple myths that we open up to to find some type of moral inspiration for our day or is this who God is? And so it is our hope that through this series, even though you may wrestle with these truths, when the time comes, and for all of us, no matter where you live, no matter what your life may be, the time will come where you'll be faced with those very questions in your own life. All of us at some point in time, before we leave this earth, will be faced to ask of ourselves those very questions. Do I believe that God forgives, that God heals, that he restores, and that he delivers? This is a challenge of those who are present at the moment of this reading as we are reading who are seated before Jesus. Uh, this is uh, shortly after his 40 day and night fast in the wilderness where he was not only fasting but at the conclusion of it he was tempted by the enemy if you remember the story. And on this journey, this brief time of fasting and prayer, I love that it was sealed with a challenge from the tempter Satan himself. And Jesus demonstrates for us that even when we are at our weakest point, that God can still deliver you. He models this for us. That's why we read in Hebrews 4 and 15 that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did so without sinning. And Jesus triumphs over the enemy and soon thereafter finds himself just like us in church on the Sabbath. And he's there with the people in the Bible. I love Luke. Luke says, as his custom was, Jesus went to church. 
as his custom was, he went to church just as we did. And for some reason at this time, the attendant, we don't know if it's the priest or whomever, they handed Jesus the scroll. And when he handed Jesus the scroll, he opened it up or he, he gave him the scroll specifically of the prophet Isaiah. And as he had the scroll, Jesus intentionally, this was not accidental, by happenstance, this was not the chosen reading for the day. Jesus scrolled, opened it up to the book of Isaiah, and he read this specific passage, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year. Of the Lord. And I love what the scripture says as Jesus was reading it, everyone's eyes were fixed on him. And you can kind of imagine why. Because of this room where they were, the people that he just read to, these were the very people that he was reading about. He was reading in his hometown of Nazareth, which was one of the lowliest of places. Nazareth was so low that upon recruiting disciples, one of them said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's reading in Nazareth. One of the lowliest, it wasn't really respected. It's kind of like living in West Virginia um, <laughs> or, or living in Kentucky. <laughs> you go places and say, where are you from? Kentucky. Oh, y'all still wear shoes? Um, running water. Y'all got horses, chickens. In one of the most lowliest of places, Nazareth, that it wasn't a highly respectable places. And so Jesus is sitting here and he's reading this passage. And in this room where he's reading are the very people, the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. Can you imagine that Nazareth, the least of these, not only the least of these, but it's also the least of these in one of the least of these countries, Israel at this time. Uh, it was long gone from its glory days. At this time that Jesus is reading, the nation does not even have a military to its name. It has no type of political power except there, which by the Roman officials allow them to have so, because they didn't want to deal with the petty occurrences of day-to-day -day life, and so they allowed them to govern themselves to a degree, but that was a limited source of power. He's reading to the people of Nazareth, these, these Nazarenes, he's reading to them, these Israelites, these people who have no power, no, no, no purpose, it seems, under the Roman occupation, and to the very people... He's saying, I've come to fulfill this. This is challenging for them because they've, they've been waiting for something to happen for years. And they've tried, for instance, uh, uh, the historian Josephus writes about another guy by the name of Judas, not the traitor Judas, but another Galilean named Judas, who at some point in time, a little bit before Jesus began his ministry, had, had started a revolt against the people. In Acts chapter 5, they actually uh, referenced this. He started a, a revolt against the Roman officials to rob an armory. And just when it seemed like they got enough military and, and, and physical might to oppose the Roman officials, historians Josephus tells us that the Roman government came and burned the whole village to ash. So imagine, imagine Jesus growing up in a culture where the people were, they were, they were oppressed. Where whenever they seemed to try to get ahead, 
the Roman officials made it clear that you have no purpose and no power in this life. Jesus, understanding growing up in his culture, not only growing up, but speaking to people who too grew up in his culture, he's reading to them and he's telling them, listen, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because I know who you are. I know that you are the poor, you are the captives, the brokenhearted, the blind, you are the oppressed. And I want to tell you that the spirit of the Lord has anointed me. To be deliverance for you. And this is crazy because a little bit later in the scripture, you'll find that the people were so angry at Jesus because of their disbelief and their oppression that they drove him out of town. And at one point even tried to kill him. And it makes sense when you consider their context as to why they responded to Jesus the way that they did. Uh, when, when you read, when you read, sociologists tell us that oftentimes uh, people argue um, the behavior, uh, soci- I'm sorry, they argue because of the impact of oppression on their lives. And so what will happen is when you try to tell them that they're worse off or oppressed, their anger towards you results in a violent manner. So because of the pain that they're experiencing, they respond in hatred and anger towards the one who points it out. To make it clear for you, it's kind of like if you have friends or family members whom you see who's pretty bad off. And what happens then is when you try to point out or you try to amplify, here's why you do this, why you behave this way. You try to show it to them. And then they'll respond to you in a number of ways. Some of you have probably been cursed. Some of you have been disassociated with some. Some of you no longer have friends because you try to address the issue inside of their lives. What sociologists tell us, it's because of the impact of either the sin or the, the, the issues, the oppression that they're facing. They don't understand it, so they react violently towards the person who tries to communicate that with them. And so um, Jesus is speaking to these heavily oppressed people. And he's trying to tell them that here's where you are. I'm your deliverance. But they don't recognize that they're in pain. They don't know that they're oppressed. They don't know that they're the poor. They don't know that they're the brokenhearted. They don't really understand that they're the ones who are captive. They don't understand what Jesus is talking about. So they push back against Jesus himself, not really understanding it. Because oppressed people also view liberation as a threat. First of all, because they don't know that they're oppressed and then Who is Jesus to stand before them and proclaim what he can do? I mean, he grew up in the same place that we did. He's he's from Kentucky. He's from from Nazareth. He's from this broken down place. Who is Jesus to tell us that he can change our situation? And so this outburst that Jesus experienced and that we've experienced too, It's largely due to the suffocating social conditions they're facing from. What are they facing? They're facing the heavy taxation from Caesar. They pay out so much that many of them don't even have enough to make it. They don't have a good, healthy living wage. And so they give out more than they have coming in. They never feel like they can make enough. Or the people who are around him who have been imprisoned for petty offenses. Or the weight of hopelessness that's due to the vastness of the impoverished conditions that they are living in. Jesus is speaking to these people group and they don't understand what he's talking about. And who is he to even mention these things because they are feeling the suffocating ramifications of this existence here under Roman occupation. 
Many people believe that because of the immense social oppression conditions, it resulted in the people responding physically and emotionally to those conditions. For instance, there was a woman who was bleeding perpetually for 12 years. Some say the reason that she bled that in that manner while the doctors could not heal her is because the doctors could not heal the pain that was going on inside of her, not because it was a physical condition, but because her body was pushing out the pain that she could not handle mentally and emotionally. Or there's a guy in the gospel according to John who sat by the rivers for 38 years looking for somebody to do for him what he could ultimately do for himself. That's why Jesus gets to him and says, you, get up. Or people, children who were born blind or deaf and mute, many people believe that some of what was experienced through this time was because of the intense social conditions of oppression that they had experienced. And it's into this environment that Jesus delivers what many believe to be his inaugural address to the people. And he makes it clear that he was called to preach to the economically oppressed, to heal those who have been so socially and emotionally devastated, to freedom to the prisoners of injustice, restoration for those suffering, liberation for those suffocating due to the severe oppressive realities of the Roman government and this cruel world. Now here's the thing. I've uh, been a church boy all my life and I recognize that in messages such as this, We'll sit in here and we'll listen to this, and many of us will say, okay, I get it, preacher man, but you're not talking to me uh, because I'm not poor. I'm not captive. I'm not oppressed. I'm not brokenhearted. You're not even talking about me. I'll come back next week, and perhaps you'll get on my street. But oftentimes what happens, no matter, and I've been around all time, I've been around the clergy, the leadership, the laity, I've been around super saints and the super ain'ts, I've been around all of us, and it's pretty clear that when Jesus is speaking about the deliverance that he can bring, he wasn't just isolating a certain people group. He's talking to each and every one of us. So it's, it's you. You here today are the poor. You are the brokenhearted. You are those who are captive. You are those who need freedom. You are those who have been oppressed. It is in this very room that these truths exist. And God, Jesus, is proclaiming that the deliverance that you're searching for comes from you. But church folk, we love men to dress up and come to a masquerade ball on Sundays and hope that people won't see our issues. Uh, uh, We're celebrating uh, Easter season beginning next week and Good Friday. I love it. One of my best friends, Pastor Mac and Grace Community Church will be with us. Um, I remember a few years ago, Pastor Mac injured his ankle exercising. And um, and I remember uh, he called me uh, after his work day. He says, when I went in, he made it to the receptionist desk. And when he got to the receptionist desk, he stopped at the desk and leaned on it and grimaced. Well, the receptionist was actually a retired nurse. He gets to the desk, he grimaces, she asks the question, well, baby, what's wrong with you? He says, well, I I hurt my ankle pretty bad exercising yesterday. And she says these words, she says, the worst thing that you can do for that ankle is walk around as if it's not hurting. And for Christians, the worst thing that we can do is walk around here with our mask on as as if we're not in pain. As if life doesn't get the best of us. As if 
we're always on top of the world, as if we don't grieve or suffer from pain and oppression, as if we're not the ones that Jesus is talking about. In order for God to work through you and for you, one of the first things that you've got to do is put yourself in a posture of being vulnerable to God. Be vulnerable to Jesus if you truly want to receive deliverance from him. That's one of the first places that you've got to go. So let's quickly unpack the scripture, what Jesus is talking about. One of the first things we see in this is the call of Christ. We find this in verse 18. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Jesus announces that the spirit of the Lord is upon him and anointed him. This simply speaks to his assignment. That he has been assigned the role that Jesus plays in the life of creation is as the one who has been anointed to deliver the people. Jesus is Savior. He has been anointed for that. He has been smeared with the Holy Spirit to be able to bring deliverance to humanity. That is his role. That is his his role for you and I. He exists for that reason to be that for us. But I love this. As he's reading this, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Check this out, man. Isaiah read this scripture. He, 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 he uttered these words before. But Isaiah was not speaking as Jesus is. There's a difference between Isaiah uttering these words and Jesus uttering these words. Isaiah was speaking it as a simple uh, herald or announcer, announcing of the d- deliverance and the kingdom to come. Jesus was mentioning this not as a herald or an announcer. Jesus is mentioning this not as the deliverer, but as deliverance itself. He is proclaiming to the people not something that will come, but that the kingdom of God has come, that it is very present inside of him right now. He's not the deliverer. He is deliverance. And so when you're looking for deliverance, you don't look for someone to package something to bring to you. You simply look to Jesus because deliverance exists inside of him. He's not the bringer of good news. Jesus is good news. This is what he talked about in John 5 and 39. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Jesus says, I am the fulfillment in this. And it is into this vein that Jesus embodies right here in this little synagogue, in this insignificant town of Nazareth, to these exiled ones who are waiting for the glory days to return of Israel. Jesus says, I I have come. I've been anointed to preach the good news, to proclaim to you that I am here. Which brings me to my second point, it's the work of Christ. Not only has Jesus been anointed for this, he's actually come to do a work. He's come for all of us. You and I are the sole reason for Jesus' coming. We are the reason why he came. But I love it because he tells us what he came to do. He says, I've come to preach the gospel to the poor. But not just those who are poor economically, disadvantaged, but more so those who are humble in hope, those who are hopeless and discouraged because of the pervasiveness of pain and suffering that runs rampant throughout the world. Those who feel like you can never do enough, you never have enough, you feel exhausted, depleted, rejected, dejected. Jesus says, I've got good news for you. I'm here. Or for the broken heart, he says, I've come to heal you. Now imagine this, the imagery here is one of a shattering. It's like being crushed. Have you ever felt like life crushed you? 
Have you ever felt like the weight is too much for you to bear? Jesus says, for those of you who feel like your heart has been crushed and shattered, I have come for you. Perhaps you feel crushed because of the injustices of the world. Jesus says, I, I come for you. Because of the political practices and policies that prohibit people from receiving the most basic fundamental promises that should be afforded to all humanity, Jesus says, I come for you. Or because of the devastation and despair of the disadvantaged who are told to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps when they can't even afford boots, Jesus says, I have come for you. When we can fund private prisons but defund public education, when we make sure that we legislate the school-to-prison pipeline, Jesus said, for those of you who need that, who are brokenhearted, I have come for you. When we care about the birth of a child, which we should, but we don't care about the health care of the child, the education of the child, the welfare of the mother, and we will, if that child commits a crime, as much as we care about their life, lethally inject them and send them into eternity. I'm telling you, the brokenhearted who are crushed because of the injustices of the world. Jesus says, I feel your pain. I know where you're coming from. I have come for you, those who are crushed, brokenhearted. I've come to heal your pain. Or how about liberty for the captives? The imagery here is though you have been in war and you are exiled and held at spear point, imprisoned by the pervasiveness of sin. Jesus said, those of you who feel like you just can't get over when your body tells you what you're supposed to do and you seem to find difficulty in fighting that pain, that, that pleasure, that sinful behavior. Jesus said, for those of you who are held captive, I've come to be freedom and liberty for you. Yeah. Or the blind. He's talking about spiritually blindness, this is. Jesus said on one occasion, the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Meaning, Jesus is going to be blind uh, sight to those of you who've been wanting to see and expose those who feel like they've got it all the way together. But not only that, and liberation to the oppressed. If you are crushed in spirit, overwhelmed by hardship, oppression points to the reality that if someone is in a weakened state, it is due to the burdensome and weighted down harsh exercise of authority or power lying heavily upon someone. Therefore, the liberation is not about freedom in a sense of chains, but freedom as far as pressure. Jesus says, I feel the pressure that you are experiencing in this old crew world. And I know how you feel about the unjust practices. I know how you feel about how the ones who have the most keep getting ahead. And it seems like you can never do enough and you feel weighted down by life. Jesus says, I've come to lift that weight off your shoulders. I've come to give you freedom. I love Rosa Parks said it like this. That there is just so much hurt, disappointment, and oppression that one can take. Therefore, there, there's the line between reason and madness grows thinner. Jesus is speaking to this context. To the very people who are experiencing these things, they are, they are brokenhearted, held captive, oppressed, they, they are poor in spirit. Jesus says, I've come because this is, this is my title and my job description. I was shaped in humanity to bring this change and deliverance for you. I am Jesus the Christ. You know that's what that means, right? I, I love it, man, the old, old tale of the little boys in Sunday school. 
and uh, the teacher's teaching, and one of the little boys sticks his hands up, and he says, um, what's Jesus' last name? And uh, the teacher responds. She says, well, Jesus, Jesus doesn't have a last name. And another little boy raised his hand and says, oh, yes, he does. Yes, he does. He does have a last name. And the teacher says, well, out of curiosity, says, well, what's his last name? She says, his name is Jesus H. Christ. And um, the teacher says, well, please explain to me. He says, well, typically when I'm at home, and usually when my dad gets angry, um, I'll hear him shout the whole name. He'll say, Jesus H. Christ. She says, um, that's interesting, but that doesn't point to, I don't know what the H means, she says, but I can tell you what the Christ means. And, uh, and I can tell you that even at times like that, it's a good name for your dad to call out because he's recognizing that whatever pain he's experiencing at that moment, the Jesus that he's mentioning, he's the one. And the Christ that he's calling upon, he's the deliverer. Jesus' role is Christ. It's the Messiah. He is Savior. He is Deliverer. He is the Anointed One who was shaped and formed so that you and I could be freed from the oppressive state of this world because we are in dire need of the change that comes from him. And then thirdly, let's look at the promise of Christ. Now imagine this, when, when Isaiah first gave this message a little bit 800 before, years before Jesus, the nation of Israel, the, the southern kingdom particularly, was under Assyrian rule. And so because of the fear, the possibility, and being alert because the Assyrians might then come to the northern kingdom where Isaiah lived, Isaiah was assuring the people of the deliverance that could come from God. And so 800 years later, Jesus is saying and quoting the very same scripture as they are once again under occupation from a greater force. But there's a difference again. Isaiah is prophesying about a deliverance to come. They thought maybe it was going to be in a couple of years. They didn't know it was going to take 800 years for Jesus to come to truly give them freedom. But not only that, they didn't know that freedom was going to come packaged in the manner that it was. Many of us, when we're looking for Jesus as deliverer, we're looking for him to be specifically the deliverer that we want him to be in that moment. But oftentimes, when Jesus and God works in our lives, it's not always in the way that we think that he should do it. Uh, there's usually really, you know, kind of um, uh, just, a, just a couple of ways that he works. You know, when you pray, um, it's, uh, it's usually a yes or a no. The third thing, people always say, he says, wait. I don't believe that because I've never seen Jesus tell anybody to wait in Scripture. It's usually by other means. He'll say yes. He'll, he'll deliver you in the way that you want. There's some times that he does, and there's some times that he won't. We don't know why he just says no. But there are other times where he delivers us, us differently from the way that we expected him to. And so you think that he's going to heal you in one way. Jesus says, well, I'm going to bring healing, but maybe not to you physically the way that you want, but I'll heal you relationally with me, or I'll connect you spiritually in some other way. I'm going to bring healing, just not in the means or the way in which you so desire. The work of Christ, the promise of Christ, is that he is always deliverer. He is always the one who can and who will. It's just not always the way that we expect him to. And so when he's preaching to these oppressed people, the nation of Israel, he's saying, listen, deliverance shall come to you, but it's coming in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not a kingdom that is made by man's hands. It is a kingdom that exists inside of each and every one of our hearts. 
that no matter the conditions that you're facing, you're always experiencing freedom, even if you are poor, even if you are brokenhearted, even if you are captive, the kingdom of God allows you to experience freedom in God, in Christ, that exists even when it doesn't look like. That's why you can find some of the happiest people in some of the most oppressive circumstances. That's why in nations, say for instance like China, where they are suffering from communist rule, but in China, the church in China, people are experiencing freedoms and healings in ways that we haven't seen in years in history because they recognize the kingdom of God has nothing to do with the oppressive regime in China that they're living under. They know that God still can, and he still will, and he is able even though they're experiencing the pain from external forces. And when the people of God recognize that my deliverance has very little to do with what someone does to me, what someone says about me, but about the reality of God working on the internals in my heart, I can find deliverance, liberation, and freedom there. So what does this mean for you and I? What does deliverance really mean for us? Well, deliverance is simple. Uh, Take, for instance, if... um, we're, our neighbors is Jimmy John's. They, 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 they deliver, right? You put a phone call in, and uh, they take that food from one location and take it to the next. That's a delivery, right? Um, or if you're talking about humanity, let's look historically. Let's look at, uh, let's look at the Jews and their deliverance from Nazi power. Basically, what that means is that they were set free from the oppressive regime that decided it was going to take them out and they were no longer under threat from them. What this looks like spiritually is basically the same thing. In order to experience deliverance, here's what has to happen. We have to allow ourselves to be in possession of Jesus. Let God possess you to be in his possession. And then he will take you and he will move you from one place to the next. Just like a sandwich at Jimmy John's. God will take you from one place to the next. In the scripture, this is what he's saying to the people that he's speaking to. I will take you from poverty to abundant life. I'll take you from brokenheartedness to wholeness from being in captivity to freedom and from blindness to sight. I'll take you from being the oppressed to being the liberated. This is the message and mission of Jesus all during scripture. We find this and know this to be true, not just in Luke chapter 4, but if you flip back to the gospel of Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, you'll find these words. Jesus says, because he wants to move you from one location to the next, he says, come to me me all of you who are labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lonely in heart and you will find rest for your souls why are you promising rest Jesus he's promising rest because the earth does not give rest because life does not give rest because you cannot expect rest from the government you cannot expect rest from family you cannot expect rest from your friends or from your work or employment or relationships Jesus says Come to me, the thing that you need and are looking for, that rest that can only come through me. Come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. 
Jesus says, I want to bring you deliverance. But it simply comes through this. By allowing yourself to be possessed by him. The question is, are you God's? Are, are you his? The old saints used to say, man, listen, listen, the Lord, the Lord is mine. Now, the reality is we, God doesn't belong to us. We belong to him. Have you allowed God to take possession of your heart? Are you God? Do you belong? Do you know Jesus? Have you been caught up by him? Do you belong to him? Is he yours? Are you his? Are y'all in fellowship together? If that's the case, Jesus is promising for those who belong to me, I will change your location. I will change your description. I will take you, those of you who are poor and oppressed and captive, I will move you from that position to a position of life and that can only come through me. Do you know him? Jesus says, if you do, I'll change your description. And what I know about this to be true is even in a room this small, even with people that we see week after week, I know that there are some of you who show up every Sunday and you're not certain about the reality if you belong to God. I know there are some of you who still wrestle with the truths. And let me be honest with you, when we put this series together, we knew that we couldn't certainly convince you that God still heals, forgives, restores, and delivers. But what we were hoping is that to give you something to wrestle with, because there's going to be some times in your life where you're faced with challenges and you're going to have to wrestle and you're going to have to ask the question of yourself and of your God. God, because of what I'm experiencing, because of the sin in my life, because of the relationship struggles that I'm experiencing, because of the oppression. God, do, do you still deliver? And if you do deliver, God, can you deliver me? God, because of what I'm experiencing relationally in my family. God, do you still forgive? Because I need to know that you forgive so that I know that you can forgive me so that I can forgive someone else. God, do you still restore? Because I've spent 5, 10, 15, 20 years giving my life to things that do not deserve my attention. God, can you make my life anew? When you wrestle with those things and you experience that, you're going to find yourself in a place where you're going to have to respond and trust God as your Deliverance. He is not the deliverer. He is deliverance. He's the only one who can take you from where you are to where you desire to be. Do you belong to him? Is he your God? That's the only thing that he desires to be. He desires to be delivered for you. Amen.